Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Dear United States of America, I'm sorry. I haven't been who I was created to be. Things have been tense, it's been tough. and We've had trouble trusting each other, believing in and supporting each other. It seems like we only see our differences. And the truth is, we're all just humans, brothers and sisters created in God's image. It seems like the problems are caused by them. You know, those people. They think, look, and talk different. They are different. They are the problem. But there is no they. No, there is only us, us Americans. We are the United States of America. One nation, indivisible and under God. That means it's gonna be okay. God's got the whole world in his hands. So when politics don't go my way, it's in his hands. When everything is falling apart and nothing makes sense, it's in his hands. I forgot that God is in control. So I tweeted things that didn't look like Christian love. I posted things that Jesus wouldn't post. I've said things that weren't from a spirit of unity and love. I forgot to love my neighbor as myself. So I am sorry. And I'm going to try harder to spread joy instead of fear, to encourage rather than condemn. And instead of shouting my opinions, I'm going to choose to share Jesus. Good morning, brethren. As we celebrate the 4th of July this year, let us not forget as the video that we just saw pointed out, that first and foremost, we're Christians. Let's never forget that being created equal was not just the dream of the founding fathers of this nation, but a foundational biblical truth. Let us hold ourselves to the highest of standards, not just the minimum necessary, and let us honor and respect one another as we would honor and respect the Lord himself. For he stated that inasmuch as we do whatever we do to the least of these, we do it to him. So brethren, on behalf of everyone at Grace Family Church of Rhode Island, I would like to wish you a happy, a safe, and a blessed 4th of July. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> But I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? 
I'm God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer, that's how it works. Okay, okay, if you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what, I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do, it's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay, um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. With the platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. 
see it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse, I can't. Oh, my child, in the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both. What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um. I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. And chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror, and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult, and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I wanna be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid but you chisel away, just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know, reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on, it's, it's a name, it's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying, it's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. 
gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at this as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's gonna be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was gonna be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. I, I remember when our children were little, we have two children, and one of them was actually playing with other children and was taking all of the toys that he could take. And when we asked him what he was doing, I remember he was so natural and so spontaneous in saying, but daddy, mommy, we are sh I'm sharing. And it, it was interesting to see an idea of sharing that was actually quite different from what we were trying to teach him. But somehow, when we think of sharing, especially as Christians or as a church, we assume that first we must have all that we think we may need before we can start sharing. There are many, many examples that I can bring up that I've seen over the years. Finances is one of the top ones. Well, if God really wants us to do something, He will first provide the finances and then we'll be able to do that. Well, brethren, sometimes it doesn't quite work that way. Resources is another one. We think we need all sorts of different resources 
and maybe while we're looking for the ones that we don't have, we may be missing what the Lord actually has given us. Some look for experts or super health or maybe we look for perfect people or beautiful buildings and the list can go on and on and on and on. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is what is that we really need? And once again, not a surprise, <clears throat> Jesus taught his disciples this lesson as he was training them. And we read of that in Mark chapter 6. And let's look at it together, beginning with verse 1. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this, not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, Jesus taught and preached primarily in homes, out in the open, at the seaside, or in the hills of Judea, in the synagogues often. The synagogues were, however, different from the way we would think of church today. They were the center of social and religious life in the town. In the church today, you would expect people to show up on the weekend. But in the synagogue, it was not the case. It was quite a busy place because that was the, the, really the center of Jewish life. Now, when people in his hometown, in Nazareth, heard him, they were flabbergasted. And as the scripture tells us here, they took offense at him. What was the problem? Well, they remembered him as he grew up in that area. And they started asking, well, he's a commoner. Where did he get all that knowledge? Where did he get that power to do those miracles? He was not of any particular status in town. They knew him to be a carpenter, a common laborer. And you can imagine their comments. He can't be better than we are. And so there probably most likely was envy and a sense of competing, competition in their comments and the reason why they took offense at him. After all, they probably thought, we know his family. There's not a special family. Doesn't have a pedigree, so to say. There is a lesson to begin in that. Looking only at the failures in other Christians is unfortunately a temptation that all of us are exposed to. We think that we know better, we know more than others, and uh, so we, we feel like we can judge the Christianity of others. The reality is that we're all common, inasmuch as we're all sinners redeemed by the grace of God. And we must be careful not to look at the negative only. Certainly, we need to make some judgment calls 
um, especially when we need to make a decision whether we go along with something that is sinful or wrong, and hopefully we'll decide not to go along with it. But we can't just look at the negative in people. We also need to look at what the Lord has done and is doing in people's lives. After all, not a single one of us is perfect. Now, of course, Jesus did not have any sin. But the envy and the pride of the people around him prevented them to recognize who he was. And I hope that that is not the case with us. Let's continue in verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. So Jesus here commented on that by quoting or using a, a common saying, uh, a saying that was quite common in those days. But a prophet is not someone that is given the, the ability to predict the future, but rather someone who's speaking God's message. We need to understand that. Now, he was also rejected by his friends and family. In fact, we read, we read before that his family thought that he had lost his common sense. And that rejection, as we will see a little better in a, in a few moments, was a lesson in itself for his disciples. You see, sometimes friends and families will not respect us because we are Christians. In fact, in some cases, they feel threatened by the fact that we are Christians. They look at us as if we were always thinking that we are better than anyone else. Well, some Christians are that way, but I hope that most of us are not. But we should never let that rejection keep us from serving God and continuing to walk with Jesus Christ. We are called to be his voice, after all, not ours. And we don't need to worry about whether people listen to us. We are his voice. They need to listen to him. And we're called to serve the Lord, not ourselves or our friends and families. We're called to serve the Lord. And if they rejected him, Jesus made it very clear that we can expect people to reject us as well. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. And he could not do, and he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. So, this statement does not imply, first of all, that Jesus was unable or incapable of, form, of performing miracles there. In fact, it actually says the opposite because it does state that Jesus healed a few, not too many, but a few people. So he was still performing miracles. This is not about the miracles themselves, but about faith, the faith of the people of his hometown. You see, miracles, are, are, the purpose of miracles is not to convince a stubborn audience. The purpose of the miracles was to serve, to point people to Jesus, to serve them in their faith, to move them to trust 
and to acknowledge and recognize that Jesus was indeed Messiah. So in and by themselves, miracles really are not worth anything. They are not of no value. And if they were performed just for the sake of performing the miracles, they would be misunderstood and it would not lead people to God. And I think that the history of ancient Israel is ample proof of that. Now, one thing that we find in here, and we need to understand, is that related to the nature of unbelief. Unbelief in, in this context, in, in, in the context of the Jewish culture, reflected a hostile mindset, a stubborn refusal to believe, a moral rebellion against God. So the problem here was not an intellectual problem, but it was a spiritual problem. And Jesus, as scripture tells us, was amazed by that. You see, their unbelief was not ignored. It was not regarded as insignificant by Jesus because Jesus cared for them. He had compassion for them. And so he was amazed at the degree of their lack of faith and lack of belief. But that was also a lesson for the disciples as well. That rejection would be will become familiar to the disciples. And Jesus in this case and in other settings modeled for them how they needed to respond to that because the day would come where they would experience that as well. Now we go to verse 7. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now Mark in here is, is concentrating his attention on the, on the struggle between good and evil and showing how God overcomes evil. But one thing that we don't want to miss is the obvious. Jesus trained the disciples. Now, why do I say that's important? Because I've seen too many cases of pastors who have been appointed with no training whatsoever and struggling to fulfill their, their calling and their duty. Jesus did not just take people and appoint them to a position and hope that they would make it. He trained them. He mentored them. He coached them. He did what, what was necessary for them to be able to succeed in their role. And it was out of love for them, as well as for the people that they would then give a witness to. Now, the disciples, after being trained, they knew what to teach because Jesus told them. And they knew about the response that they will receive. Some people will accept their their teaching, some people will receive their teaching gladly, others will reject it completely. But now it was time for them to practice and to see in practice what that would be like and, and learn several lessons in the process. So Jesus gave them authority. Notice this was not their authority, but Jesus' authority that was now delegated, at least in part, partially delegated to them. They were going through the, the villages and, and the towns representing him. And that, 
especially in the Jewish culture, receiving them would mean receiving Jesus himself. Likewise, rejecting the messenger, rejecting the disciple was like rejecting the master, the rabbi Jesus himself. Because they went in his name, not in their own name. Now, Jesus sent them out to the world. Now, they said Jesus sent them out. This was not just an invitation to come in and join a meeting, but going out where the people are to give them a witness, to be a model of what God would want people to be. See, seeing us, people should see a reflection of Jesus Christ and what he does in and through us. It calls for us to sacrifice ourselves sometimes, yes. It calls for us to go beyond the comfort of the church building, yes. To step into the world, into the turf with, uh, where others are as his disciples in life. But Jesus sent them two by two, and some people are curious as, as why two by two. Well, first of all, very simple reason. It was a customary thing to do, both in the Greek as well as in the Jewish culture. But also they could encourage and support one another. They could confirm the other. If one spoke, the other were confirmed that, that whatever was spoken, the gospel message, was correct and actually true. They would share discernment with one another and perhaps hold each other accountable. They would steer each other up to action so that they would not be so discouraged as to give up on their mission. And, and, and there is a lesson for all of us. While we acknowledge that the work we do is not our work, but is the Lord's work, while we acknowledge that our strength is not just our strength that is from God, we also need to acknowledge that He's given it to us. It is given to us as, as a body, as a church. And as a body has many functions, so does the church. And therefore, each one of us, in a, maybe in a slightly different way, contributes to the overall mission of the body of Christ. Let's go to verses 8 and 9. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. Now that may seem strange, unless we really remember that this was a training mission. They needed to learn to rely on God. Carrying no bag it meant that they would not come across like beggars, because that was something that beggars would carry a bag with them and, and not much more, and, and they would beg and hoping to fill the bag. But they were to be supported. There's a difference between begging and being supported. Begging, you, you would, if you were to beg, you would be the one soliciting someone to give to you. Being supported means that someone is moved by God to offer support to you. Now the instruction that Jesus gave them for this particular lesson in their training was later reviewed, and we find it in Luke chapter 22. And as he was reviewed, Jesus reminded them, well, what did you learn? Did you miss anything? Well, you didn't carry anything with you, but did you miss anything? And the disciples said, no, we never missed anything. 
But then he made, Jesus made it clear that different circumstances call for a different approach as well. So it's not necessarily a mandate for all times or for all situations. So what is the lesson in that? Well, first of all, we can learn from that the Messiah has not come to grant health and wealth like some people would, would say. But something much more precious than that. And that is the gospel the truth, the word of God. We are to learn to rely on God, not in our own means. Oh, we, we, we like to play God. We like to want to control things. We, we like to accumulate all the necessary means that we think we need to be able to do the work. And then perhaps we go ahead and do the work if we're not too busy managing or administrating all the resources that we accumulated. Now, we are to rely on God rather than on our own means, our own means. We are to support one another, true, and to ensure that the work of the Lord can be accomplished. But as we support one another, as we support the work of the Lord, we're not going to be completely stuck by trying to accumulate it. We're going to be out there using it. The people receiving the message, that's another aspect of a lesson, we're also involved in part of the mission. So here comes one of the disciples of Jesus to your town, and you as a listener would invite them to stay with you and provide for them. That means you would have the privilege of being part, involved in that mission, the mission that Jesus gave his disciples to accomplish in that area. It was a gesture of hospitality. But hospitality was very highly valued and necessary as well. Like for the early synagogues, in the same way, the church, the early church, would meet in homes. Homes were the, their headquarters, the basis of operation in reaching out to the community. And extending hospitality made all of that possible. Uh, the church did not start with big, great buildings or anything like that. It was done with small communities meeting in, in people's homes and sharing the good news of the gospel. Verse 10, And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, <clears throat> stay there until you leave town. So, hospitality was very important, but he had to be honored as well. The disciples were to honor their hosts. They were to stay with those who welcomed them, not shop for maybe a better accommodation somewhere else in town that would be quite offensive. In fact, the hosting home and the hosting family then would become the center of the mission in that town. And later, that would become the point of reference of the church. So there was a more than one reason, but there were beautiful reasons and wonderful things and perhaps in many ways, we need to remember that even today. Verse 11. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. I've actually seen that done out of spite. I don't think that was necessarily intended to be out of spite or offensive. It was a response to a rejection. Look, like for Jesus, 
Not everyone would receive the disciples and listen to them. They did not receive their master. They did not receive or listen to Jesus. They would not listen to the disciples. Rejection was expected. It still is today. So what did it mean to shake off the dust of, from off their feet? Well, that was a reference to a Jewish tradition. You know, the Jews were particular about maintaining themselves separate from the Gentiles. And when a Jew would go through a Gentile town and would leave the town of the Gentiles, he would shake off even the dust because he did not want to take anything that would be unclean or contaminated from that town. He would not want to take it with him. So to shake off the dust, to shake the dust off the feet, in reference to that, was basically a declaration that the Jewish town that had rejected the message of the gospel was acting like the Gentiles, having rejected not just the disciples, but having rejected the word of God. One thing we need to remember is that we are not sent to be mean. We're not sent to threaten, threaten anyone. We're not sent to share doom and gloom messages or to manipulate people into accepting Christ and maybe being forced to accept Christ. No. It's the simple truth of God's love and as well as the urgency of accepting that love that we are to share. Repentance, of course, was part of Jesus' message as well as the disciples' message because repentance is necessary. We see that daily in our ministry. We are called to live on, live on God's terms, not our own terms. And we are called to learn that it is grace, not pride, that produces change. And when we accept the grace of God and we are repenting, acknowledging that our ways are wrong, in fact, our ways are what have cause the pain and the sorrow that we experience and we acknowledge that God's ways instead make us free and give us abundant living. That repentance is what produces good change. Finally, verses 12 and 13. They went out and preached that men should repent and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. See, they were announcing the kingdom of God had come. Their message was backed up by the healings and other signs of God's presence, but it wasn't about the signs. It wasn't about the signs, or, or it wasn't about just a, a theoretical message either. The truth that they proclaimed had real and practical effects on their lives. And it still does today. We see that all the time. God's word does not go out and, and, and be wasted. God's word is not ineffective. The truth of God, the word of God, it is very effective. And it affects not only the, the, the spiritual condition of an individual, but their physical life as well. It affects all things. Brethren, none of us is perfect. 
None of us is perfect. And sometimes it is sad to see people abandoning the church or abandoning Christianity because someone, maybe even someone in leadership, is not perfect and maybe has not done things right. Brethren, I am not saying that sinning should be condoned, especially in the leadership of a church. No, leaders in the church need to be held accountable. Christians need to be held accountable. But what I'm saying is that none of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. And yet, we're still called to participate in what God is doing, not only in our lives, but in our communities and in the world around us. He has called us to plant a seed, a seed that He will cause to grow. He has called us to be a voice, not just our voice, but His voice. And that's very important for us to understand. We are not to be our own voice. We are not to share our own ideas or opinions, but we are to be His voice, sharing His values. But we need to share, because we are called to share. We are called to speak for Him. And let me ask you an honest question. Let's say that you have been exposed to a Christian or a Christian leader who has done some things that are wrong. True, we don't want to condone wrongdoing. But should we, because of that, give up on Christianity? Should we, because of that, give up on the church? Or should we have our voices heard and say, no, that is wrong and it needs to be corrected and it needs to be changed. And if God has blessed us to have that role, to have that voice, then that voice must be heard. That too is sharing. It is sharing the word of God. It is sharing the judgment of God. And that's what the prophets, ever since the days of the Old Testament, prophets were called to do. So what is the point in here? Well, as you have seen, there are a number of different points in this passage. One that really jumps at me is that we're not called to be comfortable as we minister for the Lord. We're called to be faithful. The Lord will provide what we need, yes, but what we need in His view is not necessarily what we need <clears throat> in our view. Jesus trained the disciples and showed them that they can rely on God to provide what is necessary. Now sometimes I myself don't quite understand why the Lord is asking us to do so many big things with so little. And yet, amazingly enough, it happens. We sometimes think that we don't have enough to, to accomplish the, the great task ahead, and yet somehow the task is accomplished. And it is accomplished through the body of Christ. It is accomplished through the church. You, brethren, we all have a calling to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of, of participating in the gospel itself. We, we sometimes look at the New Testament and, and think how, how privileged those people, the disciples were back in those days. And you know what? It is the same spirit 
that guides us today and that calls us today to share the same good news, the same gospel. So let us not hold back. Let us rely on the Lord because it is His ministry, His work, His word that we share after all. So let us be faithful because we've been called to share Him, the Lord Himself, and the good news that all of us and all of our brothers and sisters are included in His grace, even those that don't know that yet. So let them know it. And God bless you. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, for you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. How great the that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living